This podcast uses adult language. Listener discretion is advised. This is Kevin. This is Elizabeth. And this is the Lesson 83 podcast. Hey, Kevin. Hey. Hey. So today we're talking about some of the positives of polyamory uh, in regards to self-work, kind of the emotional and inner thoughts and change and growth that can happen in alongside or because of polyamorous relationships and polyamorous communities. And we do want to make sure that we say before we get started that these are not exclusive to polyamory necessarily. These are things that can often happen to people as they grow, mature, and change through life as you get older, all that jazz. But Kevin and I both think that these are things that being polyamorous does encourage because of having to do things like deal with jealousy in multiple partnerships. And we'll break that down more as we go. Does that about cover it? <laughs> yeah, I think so. You did a great job. Cool. So... I know one of the first things we wanted to talk about is recognizing the differences in relationships and what is required to have a relationship for you personally. It doesn't have to match what the default is given to us through media. Yeah, for sure. I think that requires a lot of introspection and figuring out our own needs and wants and hard limits and hard requirements. <laughs> Definitely. I was hearing somebody the other day talk about polyamory versus monogamy. And they started off their statement by saying that we all know how monogamous relationships look. And when I thought about it, I felt like I really didn't agree with them at all. And that mm -hmm. the way media portrays monogamy may be very homogeneous, very similar to one another. Key cutter. Yeah. But the way in which I've seen monogamy in my life before I had polyamorous relationships, as well as the way in which my friends who are monogamous have their own relationships, I don't really think that it all monogamy looks the same at all. I think it, it one of the great things about polyamory is it allowed me a lens to realize and recognize how different everybody's relationships are. Yeah, each relationship really is unique because every person is unique. And when you combine those two people, it's going to come out different every time. Exactly. Well, I think that just to tack on to that kind of introspection that polyamory encourages in this way, it's really allowed me and encouraged me to take stock of what I really want out of my relationships. Because if I were in a monogamous relationship, I would probably be a little more likely to go along with things that default culture encourages, such as the relationship escalator, even though as we were talking about before we started to record, more and more people are kind of bucking that norm and, you know, like not following the relationship escalator, even in monogamous relationships. But in polyamory, we really buck it because, you know, you can't legally marry all your partners <laughs> for one thing. And so that kind of knocks everything off the shelf right there. But I think that this introspection has really made me assess like, what are my hard limits? What am I willing to compromise on? What am I willing to aggressively pursue or 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 even passively allow to come to me if they if they come to me? And it's been really good for me in that regard. I feel like it's encouraged me to be a little more flexible in my relationships because I know that I don't have to get every single thing 100% of everything from my one partner because I have more than one partner, so I don't 
nobody has to be forced into that box of you must be my one and all everything, you know? And maybe that seems kind of obvious, but in practice, I feel like it's been just really encouraging for my own self-growth. That's great. And one thing I wanted to point out, if people aren't familiar with the term relationship escalator, the idea is there's a very set script for relationships that they must or should or will follow, that you meet somebody, you start dating, you become exclusive, you decide to get married, you get engaged, you buy a house, you get 2.5 kids and a dog. And, uh, you know, polyamorous people, while some of their relationships may share aspects of that relationship escalator, the relationship escalator does not have to apply to anybody who doesn't want it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. You don't have to follow that relationship escalator. And it's very heteronormative, too. And I think that monogamous default culture and heteronormativity go hand in hand because it's the expected, you know, it must be white, it must be Christian, it must be monogamous, it must be straight. And it doesn't. It doesn't. And in polyamory, we don't follow that script because we don't have to. But you can if you want. <laughs> but it opens us up to the possibilities of customizing our own relationships in a very choose-your-own-adventure kind of way. And I really love that. And kind of similar to what we've been talking about, I was exposed and recognized the value in the idea of love languages that we've talked about in episode three. You know, that there are ways to be able to receive and the way in which you express love can be different and they're specific. And what one person feels like is them trying to show love may not read as love to the other person. And like recognizing that and learning that through having multiple relationships, being parts of groups where we talked about relationships really helped me out. Yeah, definitely. Like, <laughs> I know we joked in the love language episode that I like all the love languages, but or most of them. But I think that touch is definitely one of my top ones and quality time. And touch can go hand in hand with sex or sexuality. It doesn't have to, of course, but it often does in my personal life. But I'm certainly open to having non-sexual relationships. I have non-sexual relationships. I have relationships where I will never have a sexual dynamic with those people. And that's perfectly fine because we're just not matched up in that way. And that's fine because I have other people in my life to, to fulfill those things for me. So yeah, I think that learning more about my love languages through polyamory has really helped in that regard because I've seen like the possibilities rather than the limitations. So for our next topic, I've got a twofer. Oh, so yeah. what- How poly of you. I know. So I really didn't fully understand myself. I was still a very young adult when I transitioned into having polyamorous relationships. And one of the things I've learned along the way is definitely like, I don't have to be a slave to my feelings and that my feelings don't have to dictate my actions. How do you feel that polyamory has helped you realize that? Because I had a lot of relationships, I had multiple people to tell me I was being an asshole. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> you know, and that I was yeah. not being a good partner. It's very easy to write off that somebody is wrong and their view of you is wrong and your behavior is wrong. If it's just one person? If it's just one person. Right. But if you have multiple people all experiencing the same thing, yeah. it can be very eye-opening. And I feel bad for the people that had to learn this lesson with me through my struggles with my mental health earlier in life. But it is good because it was a transformative experience that I was able to come out the other side of a better person, recognizing what my needs were and what I needed to do and how I can not 
I don't need to do the things I feel. Yeah. I don't have to, you know, base any of the things I do based on how I feel. Yeah. We talk a lot about how your feelings are valid, but that doesn't necessarily mean that your feelings are based in reality or, yeah. or that your feelings must be acted upon. I think in default culture, we tend to react to jealousy with, well, let's add more restrictions to the relationship, you know, or even polyamory, like unicorn hunting ultimately comes down to jealousy in a lot of sense, in, in my experience, in, <laughs> in, uh, in the sense that, oh, well, if we date people at the same time, in the same way, at exactly the same pace, then we can't possibly be jealous. And that restriction doesn't make a lot of logical sense to me because Jealousy is a feeling that to me indicates there's a deeper insecurity that I'm not addressing and I feel insecure at some part of my relationship. And if I can work on that insecurity, address it directly myself, it's nobody else's job, and then grow stronger in my relationships that I feel insecure about, then that insecurity lessens and the jealousy tends to go away to a large degree. And the addition that I wanted to tack on that is... Related to this is being polyamorous exposed me to my insecurities. And that that's something that, you know, it's very easy to hide in our relationships. I think we're going to talk a little bit later about codependency. Mm-hmm. And th- there's just so much tied up in your romantic relationships in my life. Um, mm-hmm. And I think in the portrayal through media, that doesn't necessarily have to come as a part of your romantic relationship. Your romantic partner doesn't have to be nor should they be your only friend your therapist right your caregiver you know they they can definitely fill some of those roles but you shouldn't rely on them to fill all of them yeah i I, that's like definitely been something i've learned through polyamory and feeling secure in your relationship by being specific about what you need and what your relationship can look like and what needs it can fulfill really help secure that for me and help shore up those insecurities, as well as doing the self-work like we're talking about of being introspective, understanding where my needs were and where they weren't being met. I feel like that goes hand in hand with with kind of radical acceptance in a way. Mm-hmm. The idea that we cannot control other people. We just can't. That's not really possible. People are going to ultimately do what they want to do, or they're going to act out of you know fear or whatever their emotions are a lot of the time. But, but ultimately... People are going to do what they do. And we talk a lot about rules versus boundaries in polyamory. And I think that it's been really helpful for me to realize that it's fine to have boundaries for myself. Like, you know, these are my requirements for for my own health and safety for STI testing, for example. But I can't make anybody else be safe. I can only ask them to follow the guidelines that I feel comfortable with, that we agree on and enforce those boundaries for myself. So putting rules on other people doesn't work, in my experience, nearly as well as just enforcing my own boundaries and taking that responsibility for myself. And that's a part of self-care as well. Oh, yeah. Recognizing and identifying your needs and being able to act on them. The idea of self-care wasn't really part of my lexicon before I was polyamorous. I think it's also slowly come into vogue as a part of popular culture. I agree. And self-care doesn't mean only being lazy and eating sweets. It means doing the things that are valuable and are helpful to you. Yeah, like forcing yourself to take your meds or take a shower or go to your doctor's appointments or reach out even though you don't want to. (laughs) 
I wouldn't know anything about that in 2020. Me neither. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, self-care has definitely been a side-by-side journey for me along with polyamory. I feel like I've gotten really good at it in a lot of regards, although 2020 has been a challenge. Ultimately, it's a it's it's kind of goes along with, you know, enforcing my own boundaries and taking care of myself and trying not to control other people so much as enriching my own life and deciding for myself through introspection that we've been talking about what I need and what I want and how I can pursue those things for myself and not make other people have to fulfill all of that for me. And one of the last parts I had for us to talk about was wanting to be able to make sure I point out that it's okay and acceptable and probably healthier to recognize that you aren't enough and that you're not going to be enough and that that's okay. And what I mean by that is uh, something like what Dan Savage talks about in his podcast where he comments on other people's relationships that kind of like I mentioned before, your partner doesn't have to be your only friend and your caregiver and everything that you need in the whole world. Don't put that all on one person, whether you're monogamous or not, it's unhealthy and uh, leaves you in a very vulnerable state. If your partner becomes abusive, your partner becomes ill and isn't able to take care of you. Or you break up. (laughs) Yeah. Building a broad base of support, I think is really, really helpful. Yeah, definitely. And I think that kind of goes along with some of the points we talked about in the relationship anarchy episode. I I feel like my friendships are, I don't know if I really put them on like an up down scale, but more or less of equal value. Uh, All my relationships are valuable in their own way. And whether they're sexual or romantic or platonic or familial, you know, they all have, they're all unique, of course, and they all bring something different to the table. So yeah. And, and what you just brought up makes me think of like, um, I've seen a lot of people talk in poly groups about, you know, my partner keeps going on dates and they've got NRE, new relationship energy, and they want to gush to me about it. And I don't want to hear it. What do I do? And my response is usually tell them to talk to their friends because that's what friends are for. You know, go tell them to gush to their friends because you don't need to be, you don't have to be. And I don't think it's healthy to be your, your one and only for someone, you know, they're one yeah. and only because- you know, you you don't have to listen to them talk about their sexual exploits with their other partners. That's not required. You know, it it's certainly fine if you want to hear it. But I think that that's what friends are for. You know, tell them to go talk to their friends about it. That's what friends are for. <laughs> Definitely. And it can be very difficult if you're just transitioning a relationship and you're used to confiding in your partner. But unless you get express permission and that it seems like it works for your relationship, avoiding gushing to your partner while you're transitioning. Some people like me, I don't like hearing about it at all, even in very established, healthy relationships, hearing all the nitty gritty details of my partner's relationships. Yeah. Um, I prefer to be kept out of it and be able to focus on the here and now with the partner that I'm with. And that for me takes away from it sometimes. The opposite, one of you know my, my partner, since I only have one right now, my awesome partner is very compressive, loves hearing me gush about other people, and can very much be that person for me. And that's really nice to be able to have. We just don't always get that. Sure. Yeah. And every dynamic is unique, of course, and not everybody wants to hear it. Some people love it. 
but it should be discussed explicitly regarding whether or not you want to share those things with each other. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this segment right now. Thank you, Elizabeth. We'll be back in a little bit with another segment. As a heads up, everybody, we do have a Patreon. This podcast costs money for us to run and put up on the internet. If there's any way that you can support us, we have a tip jar. If you don't want to do a recurring subscription, that's linked in the show notes. But if you can support us on a monthly basis, it would help us. We're looking to do monthly AMAs, like ask us anything, uh, you know, over video chat with people. If you're a patron, we'll be doing that. So let us know if you'd be interested in being a patron. Our link to it is also in the description below. And another great way you can support us is just to share. Just share the links, share them with your friends if they are interested in polyamory, even if they're monogamous and just want to hear about it. I feel like we discuss a lot of things that can be useful in monogamous relationships as well. Definitely. All right. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, it's Kevin, co-host of Lesson 83. I just wanted to let you know that I run a small company called Y'all Cookin'. If you'd be interested in learning how to up your cooking game in a lot of different ways, please check me out at y'allcookin.com or Y'all Cookin' on Facebook. Thank you. This is Kevin. And this is Elizabeth. And this is Lesson 83 Podcast. Hey, so today we are going to talk about uh, the positives of polyamory kind of outside the self mostly. We talked in an earlier segment about a lot of the self-work. It's a lot of uh, kind of emotional maturity and growth that happens sometimes because of polyamory. And this time we're going to talk about it in more of a community sense and a lot of the benefits that polyamory can bring. So I think the one that's most obvious to me up front is the increase in your social safety net. Like having partners who have partners, so mm -hmm. your metamors provide you an extra layer of connection of people who may be willing to help you out if you're sick or be able to assist you with problems you're experiencing in your life. Definitely. I feel like in a lot of the relationships I've been in, my metamors have been very important parts of my life, whether I've lived with them or talked to them regularly or just been able to reach out to them if I have a question or or like if I broke my leg, I could probably call my metamors over to help out with that. You know, it doesn't have to be just my partners. So I agree. It's more of a, a safety net network kind of thing. And while metamors don't always have to be your friend, in my experience, a lot of times they've ended up being my friend. And yeah. so I've also gotten a little bit of extra friendship from people that I may not have received otherwise had I not been polyamorous. Yeah, more friends in general. I think we talked about that like three different times when we were going over these points before we started recording. Lots of people that we may not have bonded with or gotten to know if we were not part of the poly community and people of many different types. Like there's a ton of crossover in poly communities with the LGBT community and with the kink community, I found that there's lots of people who are in all of those communities, like a Venn diagram, and also people of many different religions or lack of religions, different spiritual paths. I've dated, you know, I'm pagan and I've dated Christians, I've dated atheists, I've dated other pagans, and I love that there's so much variety in the poly communities in that regard. 
So I feel like that's really good for us because then we can learn from each other and see the positives in each other's faiths or paths in general. Yeah. And to touch on some of those a little bit more as well, if you guys aren't familiar, I am straight, but the vast majority of my friends in my adulthood have been somewhere in the LGBT plus community. And I don't think I would have had the level of involvement in the LGBT community had I not been polyamorous, because just a lot of people who are polyamorous tend to be less straight than the general public. Yeah, you're right. I agree. And I'm definitely not straight, <laughs> but I I do think that the crossover between the LGBT community and the poly communities has felt very natural to me in a lot of ways. And yeah. And also our little booth uh, for, for our local poly group is at Pride every year when it's not a pandemic. And that says a lot, I think, about our involvement in the queer community as well. Yeah. You know, they, they have made space for us in uh, some aspects, which has been nice. Yeah. I know you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, multiple parent households. Oh, uh, yeah. So what, what kind of benefits do you see there? Well, I lived in a multi-parent household at one point in my poly journey, and I think it was really beneficial to see how more than two parents raising a child can be extremely beneficial. First of all, you have more income happening in the household. You have more taking care of the child one-on-one -on -one in the household. So obviously the child gets more care in that regard. And I really feel like if I have kids one day, I would love to have three parents in the household or more, you know, because I've just seen the benefits and I've seen that the child is never lonely. The child has a lot of love, a lot of support, a lot of variety in the types of parents. And I think that's good because they get exposed to more worldviews and more parenting styles. And as long as all the parents are on the same page about, you know, basic important things, I think it's nothing but beneficial in that regard. So I love it. I think it's it's a lot like having a, you know, a large close-knit family of, you know, aunties and uncles and whatnot or grandparents who take mm -hmm. care of the kid. It's very similar in a lot of ways. It's just more love, you know, more love, more support, more care for the kid. Definitely. And if you want to hear more about that, episode eight, we have a interview with Rachel, one of my good friends, uh, who is a parent of many children and has partners with children that aren't her own that she's involved with. And there's a lot of good discussion there, along with um, some screaming children in the background. That's perfect. <laughs> How authentic. I know. It, it was very apropos. <laughs> I love that. Uh, you mentioned earlier about being in leadership roles in the polyamorous community and how you felt like that's been really positive for you. Yeah, I grew up in the Boy Scouts of America, and so I had it very much ingrained in me that I should and could be a leader if I ever decided to in my life and lifestyle. Aw, I love that. <laughs> they never knew what they were training. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows when you're teaching the youth of America you what they're going anything. to do with their life. And yeah. one of the things I was able to do was I founded what's now the largest polyamorous support group in our state. Mm -hmm. And it's all been a very valuable experience. A lot of the positivity I get from non-monogamy, I've gotten from being part of an awesome group of people who have helped me run it and who have participated in the group over the years uh, we've been doing this for like over eight years now, and it's 
been really, really eye-opening. It's allowed me to learn from other people's mistakes. We do fairly frequent discussions about people's questions about non-monogamy. And so a lot of people have a lot of space to share their own like downfalls and benefits and the things that they've come across that have been challenging to them. And a lot of that was very eye-opening and allowed me to help other people avoid the mistakes I've made, Mm -hmm. as well as be able to learn from other people's mistakes before I made them myself. Yeah, I think that's definitely a benefit of being involved in a poly community at all, leadership or otherwise, because you can see, you know, if you're if you're polyamorous and you're you don't know any other polyamorous people and you're in a triad, for example, you're kind of making those mistakes alone in your triad because, you know, you it can don't, feel very isolating. It can feel very isolating. And if you aren't plugged into a community, it's easier these days with the Internet because you can find a community for pretty much anything online. But uh, especially person, during COVID times, a lot of groups like yes. ours that have been predominantly in-person groups are doing online events. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the internet has been a huge lifesaver this year, I think, for a lot of people because of the pandemic. But yeah, seeing other people's mistakes, for sure. I see that in online groups all the time and in person. You can hear, just like you said, you know, learn from other people's stories and help help other people learn from your mistakes. And And, you know, the newly polyamorous tend to come across similar stumbling blocks, I think, trying to put a lot of rules on things immediately, trying to date as a couple, things that tend to not work out positively in our long-term experience. And for for us and others to be able to say, hey, you know, we tried that or, hey, you know, we went through that and this was the result can be really helpful for people to learn from. So along with that was the exposure to ideas and terminology that maybe I wouldn't have been exposed to before, uh, like radical honesty, uh, something I practice in my life now, slightly a introduction to my life from groups like Burners, who are people who enjoy events similar to Burning Man. Look that up on your own. Maybe we'll do an episode about it in the future. (laughs) Uh, But radical honesty really changed my life and allowed me to not feel like I had to be dishonest about anything. It's allowed me to be able to be honest with people without being a jerk, which is a big part of being radically honest. It's not about telling people everything, no matter what the context or the consequence of it is, but it is about being honest in a way that goes beyond what normal what people normally expect from you. And it's something that I've really appreciated. Yeah. And I, I, you've never been a jerk. So I just want to say that. Um, and I've known you a long time, but yeah, I, I, I'm also a person who believes strongly in authenticity. I'm not in the closet in like any regard. And I have a part of a lot of interesting and non-traditional communities. And I've, felt that that's been nothing but positive for me. And I know a lot of people in the poly community who believe in that kind of radical authenticity and radical honesty. And like you said, it's not about TMI. It's not about being a jerk, but it is about being true to yourself and being honest about what you feel. And in polyamorous relationships, I feel like you have to be very honest because you can't just tamp down your jealousy and never deal with it or you know lie to your partners about how you feel. None of that is going to go well. So yeah, radical honesty. It's definitely something that I, I, I think 
I'm not a I'm not a burner yet, <laughs> but I think that I you should be. I should you, be. You would, you would make a good burner. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go. <laughs> Maybe next year. But yeah, I I do like the concept of radical honesty, and I think I've definitely embraced it in a lot of ways in my life too. Well, thank you very much, Elizabeth, for talking to me about all this today. Uh, we'll be back with another episode soon and hope everybody has a happy and safe rest of their week. It was edited by Jackson Menton, music by Antilude, and logo design by Carmen Bolding. It's on Twitter, through email, or on Reddit. To submit your questions or to recommend topics, please reach out to our contact info in the show notes. We're a new podcast, and therefore, sharing this with your friends or family members could really help us out. Please share. Sharing is caring. <laughs>